Some of you may have heard of the so-called pastor, and I use that in quotes, down in Mindanao, uh, who claims that he is the appointed son of God. There is a pastor who believes that he is the son of God. And I just recently came across of a clip of one of his sermons where he recently said that he is now the owner of the entire world. He is the owner, he proclaimed on the pulpit, of the entire world. I said, wow. So does that mean I can blame him for the parking and traffic situation in our country since he is the owner of the world? His claims are so ridiculous. And you may wonder who in the world would believe a man who claims that he is the appointed son of God and is the owner of the entire world. Because if I claim to be the appointed son of God and own the entire world, I hope you wouldn't believe me. I hope you would run me out of town. I hope you'd laugh at me. But the sad part is more than 6 million people around the world, many of them highly educated, believe that this man is the son of God. He is what we call in the Bible a false prophet. Matthew chapter 24, verse 5, we just read that in our scripture reading, tells us, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and, note this, will deceive many. As we come one day closer to the coming of Jesus Christ, there will be many false prophets, there will be many false teachings out there, and it is our responsibility as watchmen of our generation to be able to discern who are the false prophets and to be able to discern the false teachings that permeate our society in order to avoid them and also to warn others. Or else we will be foolish for following fools. False prophets had pervaded the land of Israel in the time of Ezekiel. As he was writing it, false teaching was rampant. They were saying things that tickled the ears of the people, meaning they were telling the people what they wanted to hear instead of what they needed to hear from the Scriptures. Sadly, the people of Israel were also not very discerning, and that's their responsibility. It is their fault that they did not discern the false prophets and the false teachings. And so the Bible tells us they fell into sin. Remember, just because a speaker is eloquent well-spoken, good-looking, and from America, and I'm not describing myself, doesn't mean he is always right. God gave you a brain. Please use it. Always check and cross-check to make sure what you read and what you hear isn't what they call fake news. And that goes to all areas of information, most especially to spiritual information. In fact, the Bible commends men and women who check all information against the Word of God. In Acts chapter 17, the Bible talks about these so-called Christians from Berea, Bereans. And they made sure that the great Apostle Paul and what he said was true and accurate according to the Scriptures. And for that, they were commended. As we continue our sermon series in the book of Ezekiel, we want to see how God punishes these false prophets and teachings in Israel, but it also should serve as a warning sign for us to carefully discern what those are in our generation today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, and we begin in chapter 12. 
I wish we had time to study chapter 12 in detail, but let me just give you a quick summary before we get into our exposition of chapter 13. In chapter 12, verses 1 to 11, Ezekiel, as he was called before, was asked to perform a vignette, a drama. And there, in chapters 12, verses 1 to 11, he performs a drama where he packs his things, carries his things out of his house through a hand-dug wall hole, and with his belonging goes somewhere else. It would signify Israel's exile to a foreign land. In verses 12 to 16, Ezekiel speaks about a prince. And if you read chapter 12 when you get home, it talks about a prince trying to escape from the city walls. But he is captured, signifying that this time there is no escape from Israel's punishment and exile. Jerusalem will fall. The prince mentioned here is Judah's last king, King Zedekiah. He will try to escape, but the Babylonians will capture him. They will kill all of his sons before his very eyes, and then they would blind him so that the last thing he saw was the killing of his sons, and then he would be sent to Babylon for a lifelong imprisonment. In verses 17 to 20, prophetically, it speaks of the terror of that time. And then in 21 to 28, speaks of the finality of God's judgment because of generation and generation of sin. This is a repeated theme throughout this book. God's judgment is now final. Exile will occur because of the people's disobedience. Look at the last verse of chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, none of my words, note this, will be postponed anymore, but the word which I speak will be done. And the reason there is finality in the judgment of God's punishment is because the people of Israel did not discern and listen to the false prophets and the false teachings that had pervaded the land. They didn't heed the true prophets of God, and therefore they are condemned. Chapter 13 will describe five of those condemnation against these false prophets and false teachings, and they serve as warnings to us. Look at chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy, and say to those who prophesy, note this, out of their own hearts, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. The first condemnation of the false prophets in Israel by the Lord was that they were making up their supposed messages from God. They were making it up from their own minds. Note the phrase in verse 2, out of their own hearts. Note the phrase in verse 3, who followed their own spirit. The words they supposedly shared from God were not from the Lord. It came out of their own emotional experience of their heart and what they supposedly experienced. In actuality, look at the end of verse 3, they had seen nothing. If you're taking notes, the first thing you need to learn today, number one, is this. False teachers and false teachings often focus on emotions and experiences over truth. False teachers and false teachings often focus on emotions and experiences over truth. My friends, listen carefully. We have to filter our emotions and experiences through the light of Scripture and what it teaches for example, if someone tells me, Pastor, I feel that my girlfriend is the one. 
you know, we connect on so many levels. We have an emotional connection. And I just feel through our experience in this dating season that she is God's will for my life. I just feel it. That first question I'm going to ask that young man or a young woman of the situation is reversed is I'm going to ask that young man, is that girl a Christian growing in the Lord? Because if she is not, then I can tell you for a certainty that she is not God's will for you, however much you love her. Now, I would never doubt their love or emotion for one another, but 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, It is not the will of God that two who are not Christians are to be yoked together. You see, you must filter your emotions and experiences through Scripture. Now listen carefully. We do not interpret Scripture in light of our experiences. But we interpret our experiences in light of Scripture. That's important for you to grasp. You see, whenever someone tells me, Pastor, Pastor, God spoke to me. I think God spoke to me in a dream. It was so vivid. Instead of buying what they say, hook, line, and sinker, I'm actually more skeptical. I come with a skeptical mind. And the reason I am so skeptical is because the Bible tells us God has chosen as His primary revelation to His people through His Word. God's special revelation is through the Word of God. So in my mind, why in the world would God talk to you in a dream And why in the world would God talk to you, of all people, in a dream when He has given us the Word of God? So when I hear stories about adults and children so-called catching a glimpse into heaven when they are in a so-called near-death experience, again, I do not rush out to buy their books, but I am immediately skeptical. Why am I skeptical? Because Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 tells us It is appointed for man to die once, and after this, the judgment. So if you die, you die, the Bible says. If you live, you live. There is no coming back from the dead. Near death simply means that you are still alive, very close to dead, but you never crossed into death. You don't enter the spiritual realm of the eternal state. The Bible is very clear about that. And yet so many people are bought into so-called experiences into the eternal state. And then the question comes in my mind, why in the world would God reveal to a little eight-year-old the truths of heaven that even contradicts the Bible when the Bible already tells us about what heaven is like and that which He does not choose to reveal to us, He has chosen not to reveal it to us in His sovereign wisdom. If you don't have that as a filter... Anyone can claim that they have a dream from God. It can be very vivid. They can say, this is the Word of God. But the Bible tells us the canon is closed. The revealed Word of God through the Scriptures has ended. Anyone who tries to add to the Scriptures, often through a vision, often starts a cult. Look at Mormonism with Joseph Smith. But then you may ask, Pastor, if we take away emotions and experiences, doesn't it make our Christianity very boring? Doesn't God work through our experiences? And I say, absolutely He does. When the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts, we are moved to tears. We are moved with joy. 
when God intervenes in our lives, we experience His grace and mercy. But the point is this. Like the time of Ezekiel, false teachers today will place more emphasis on experiences and emotions without the filter of Scripture, and therefore they feel truth. They feel theology. They ask the question today, does it feel right to you? How many of you have heard this question before? Do you feel that it's right or wrong? We all have. Do you feel that it's right or wrong? I'm sorry. You don't feel whether it's right or wrong. It is either right or wrong. You don't say to a little kid as you're teaching them mathematics, do you feel that one plus one equals two? Because if you don't feel it, then it's okay. It's not two. Of course it's two. One plus one equals two. Likewise, when it comes to truth, you don't feel if it's right or wrong. It is right or it is wrong. Be aware of teachings today that focus on emotions and experiences over the importance of the truth of the Scriptures. You have been warned. The second condemnation, look at verse 4 and 5. O Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the deserts. You have not gone up into the gaps to build the wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle on the day of the Lord. In verse 4, God describes these false prophets like foxes in the deserts. Foxes in the deserts look for holes to hide. That's what they do. They look for holes in the desert to hide from the sun. Likewise, these false prophets were looking for loopholes to hide in the midst of a crumbling society to benefit themselves. They weren't doing the work. They were hiding. Verse 5 tells us they weren't doing their job. They were not repairing the spiritual and moral holes that were prevalent in the society. The true prophets of God were supposed to call out the people for their sins, to call them towards repentance and change. But these false prophets of Ezekiel's time didn't do that. And therefore, look at the end of verse 5, they were not ready for the spiritual battle when it came. When prophets do not prepare the people for the battles at hand, they will lose. And today we have similar false prophets and false teachings as well. The moral, spiritual walls of our society and community is falling apart. Our moral compass is in disarray. It is misaligned. And many of us and many of our preachers and teachers are not doing anything about it. Simply put, number two, false teachers and false teachings do not call sin, sin, and do not call out what is wrong, wrong. One is a false teacher. It is false teaching when they do not call sin, sin, and they do not call out what is wrong, wrong. When a pastor calls sin for what it is, it is not because we are perfect and live a sinless life. It is because we are responsible for giving the people the standard through God's Word by which to judge and filter your attitudes and actions. But unfortunately, many people today simply don't do that. They're afraid that they will be unliked. They do not want to be unpopular or unliked or unaccepted. If you look throughout the Scriptures, at all the great prophets in the Old and the New Testament... How many of them were really popular amongst the people? None of them. Not even Samuel. 
Nathan, Elijah, Elisha, they really weren't very popular with the people. Because if you're going to tell it like it is, and if you're going to say what needs to be said, and you're going to call out sin for what it is, and say what is wrong is wrong, then you will not be liked. As discerning Christians, while it is important to feel good and to be encouraged by God's Word through encouraging messages, remember, if your favorite author or if your favorite speaker doesn't talk about sin, doesn't teach what the Scriptures tell is what is right lifestyle and what is the wrong lifestyle, then you should be aware to avoid these men or women, even though they are wonderful in your mind, authors and speakers, because in actuality you're not being helped in your spiritual life because you're only hearing what you want to hear. You are not having the moral, spiritual walls of your life buttresses and strengthen for the cultural war ahead. Two weeks ago I was speaking at a Filipino Chinese church where they have a school attached to the church like ours. They gave me a topic and I preached that topic. I preached it quite strongly. Uh, and uh, that's why they get in the, the, the guest speaker because guest speakers can say whatever they want, say the harsh things and then get out. I told them uh, about my personal crusade. I've, I've mentioned this in our church today. I mentioned to them, it's my personal conviction, and it's mine only, uh, personal conviction and therefore my crusade, to get Christian schools, Chinese Christian schools in the Philippines, to get them from allowing their varsity teams to play on Sunday mornings, to get them with their school-owned facilities from being used on Sunday mornings. Because I find that picture of where they are using God's appointed time on a Sunday morning uh, to play sports. I find it wrong that the Philippine Chinyan Athletic Association, of which our school is a part, out of the nine schools that make up this association, six schools are Christian, two are Catholic, and as one is non-sectarian, and yet eight out of the nine schools supposedly Christian, and yet they all play games on Sunday mornings. Now, I've heard all the reasons, oh, pastor, we have devotionals before we play. We encourage them to go to Saturday service. I don't see them there, and we're the only church that has a Saturday service amongst those nine schools. Honestly, they're all bad justification for why one places the priority of sports over the priority of the worship of God, and I love sports. Now, I know my, my stance isn't a popular one, but I feel it's just a terrible testimony to an outside community. So I will continue to call it out as wrong as I see it, even if our own school doesn't seem to act on it as well. After speaking about it, a lot of the leaders came up to me after the sermon and said, well, Pastor, what you just said hit me in the heart. But, you know, it's just so hard to implement. I don't think we can. It's just too hard. I said, I can only tell you what I know is right or wrong. It is up to you to implement. I've done my job. And now the responsibility is on you who hear it. Now the problem of Israel in Ezekiel's time is that everyone was afraid to say what needed to be said. Like the foxes of the desert, they were all hiding. They didn't care about building up the spiritual walls that were crumbling down. 
And my friends, if this is what you're filling your minds with, simply messages that speak to the heart to make you feel good, then you are not readying yourself for the cultural and spiritual battle that you and I face in the 21st century. False teachers do not call sin, sin, and do not call out what is wrong, wrong. The third condemnation, look at verse 6. They have envisioned futility and false divination, saying, Thus says the Lord, but the Lord has not sent them, yet they hope that the word may be confirmed. Have you not seen a futile vision? And have you not spoken false divination? You say, the Lord says, but I have not spoken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken, note this, nonsense and envisioned lies. Therefore, I am indeed against you, says the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who envision futility and who divine lies. And they shall not be in the assembly of my people, nor be written in the record of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am, what? The Lord God. God condemned the false prophets of Israel because their teachings and prophecies were full of lies and they were simply wrong. If someone speaks on behalf of God, if they say it is from the Lord, they better be 100% accurate or else the Bible says they are false prophets. Do we hold people to account who say that God told them this and God told them that? You know, we're so fascinated by Nostradamus. He is a heretic. He is a false prophet of the Middle Ages. And yet, we are so fascinated by his prophecies. I think at best, his prophecies are about 30% accurate. If you give him all the general prophecies he made, I believe I could make false prophecies and be about 30% right. And yet, we place more emphasis on these so-called prophecies of Nostradamus, who's only 30% right. And yet the Bible tells us, unless you're 100% right, then you are a false prophet and should not be listened to. And in fact, verse 9 tells us they are punished by God. You see, number three, false prophets and false teachers make false claims, often prophetic claims. False prophets and teachings are full of lies. You need to hold these people to account. If they are wrong once, then they are false prophets. If they say they speak for God and they are wrong, they are false prophets. The growing movement of the charismatic and Pentecostal movement in our churches today is a bit dangerous because in their form of Christianity, they're always talking about prophesying this and prophesying that. I have friends from this tradition, and they always come up to me and say, I prophesy this. I feel God is telling me to tell you this. And I will tell them, you better be very careful. Because if you prophesy something, and then you're not 100% right, then you are a false prophet. Often within these circles, they call the pastors apostles or prophets of this modern age. Test their words Today, they make all sorts of unsubstantiated prophecies. The Lord calls them in verse 8, what? Nonsense. Envisioned lies. They don't know. One of the biggest prophetic lies of our generation is the notion that somehow 
God's promises for the believer is to prosper you in this lifetime. Do you listen to that? It is a lie of this generation that God promises to prosper you in this lifetime, meaning you'll be rich, meaning that you'll be healthy, meaning that you'll have lots of possessions. In fact, they will say that God, in His desire, is to give you the desires of your heart, taking that verse out of context, as long as you have faith. If you have faith, you can have whatever you want. If you want children, you can't have children, just have faith. If you want a new house, but you can't afford a new house, just have faith. If you want to be married, but don't have a a special someone, just have faith. It's not a faith issue. Sometimes God just doesn't want you to have it. It is not within His divine will. You don't believe me? Go read the book of Job. Job had a lot of faith. He didn't get what he wanted. The aberration of the truth that somehow God has willed it that you will have the best in this life is a lie of this generation. The twisting of Scripture. Now God promises blessings for sure, but never about it being in this lifetime. Perhaps in the life to come. For sure in the life to come. Salvation towards eternal life is the greatest blessing of life found in Jesus and that should be sufficient. How many of you hear the verse from Jeremiah 29, 11, and they use it for people, for men and women who are down and out, who have gone through so much pain and trial, it's often given at graduation. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans, note this, to prosper you. Oh, they love that word. To prosper you and not to harm you. To give you hope and a future. What a wonderful promise. The problem is it's not for you. In the context It's for Israel, out of exile. It has nothing to do with you. Oh, but we we don't care because it speaks to our hearts. And, and, And there it is, that word. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. So here's the problem. That verse is wrong when you get into a car accident this afternoon. That verse is wrong when your business fails because of a decision of yours. Then you say, well, Lord, where's the plan? Where's the plan to prosper me and not to harm me? God never promised that. God actually, in First Peter, promises you that you're going to go through trials to enrich your faith, to edify you, to challenge you, for you to draw close to Him. But in our tunnel-visioned mind, our ears are tickled to the false teachings that are out there. Be wary when people tell you that God has told them that you, 100%, will be healed, that you will have lots of money. They better be 100% right, and I know they're not, but they're twisting Scripture, and they can be defined as false prophets. Now, this should be a warning to you. I know it's kind of depressing, but it is for you to be aware of the nonsense claims that people supposedly make They say come from God. Everything must be viewed in light of what the Scriptures tell us. The fourth condemnation, look at verse 10. Because indeed, because they have seduced my people, saying, Peace, when there is no peace, and build the wall, and they plaster it with untempered mortar. If you're familiar with construction, there's an image here. 
where God condemns them, the false teachers of Israel, because theirs was a ministry of deception. They literally covered up the moral shortcomings of the people and the imagery is of using white plaster to hide the uneven surface and rocks. And so these false teachers, instead of dealing with the problem, the root problem, they were covering it up. They were not teaching the whole truth of God, but only selective truth. The Bible tells us in verse 10, they said that there would be peace, but there's no peace. God's judgment is final. Go back to chapter 12. That's why I read that last verse. No more postponement. And yet these false prophets are not heeding the word of God. They're saying, no, 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 no. God says that there will be peace. Does God talk about peace for the land of Israel? Absolutely, but in a different context. At that time, and in that context, God had had enough. The Babylonians will come. And so they were twisting scriptures and teaching selective truth. Listen carefully. A half-truth is a what? It's a lie. Partial truth is a lie. Half-truths and partial truth is no truth at all, because unless the whole truth is taught, it is a lie. In verses 11 to 16... God will punish them. I just want you to look at verse 14. So I will bring down the wall you have plastered with untempered mortar and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be uncovered. You see, number four, false teachers and their teachings do not teach the whole word of God, but only selective truth. And you can put in parentheses, which is a lie. False teachers and false teachings do not teach the whole word of God, but only selective truth, and that is what we call a lie. The Bible says, I will break down the wall. I will reveal when truth has been told versus partial truth, which is a lie. You know, I've said it many times. You can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. If you take verses out of context, you can misuse the scriptures and any pastor and any teacher can so manipulate the word of God that they can pretty much make you believe in anything. That is why the Bible must be taught systematically and expositionally. The whole word of God has to be taught from Genesis to Revelation. Not just focusing on a favorite chapter or a favorite verse. That's why people ask me all the time, Pastor, what's your favorite verse? What's your favorite book in the Bible? I tell them, I don't have one. And that's my only personal conviction. You may have a favorite Bible verse. But the problem is, if you favor a book in the Bible, guess what? You're only going to read that book. My favorite book in the Bible is the Bible. All of it. In the theological context, we call it eisegesis instead of exegesis. What people are doing, they're picking and choosing out of context, teaching it to make their point. Someone who dropped by our church a few weeks ago uh, was surprised that we were preaching through the book of Ezekiel. He said, Pastor, you know, in our church where I've been going for 40 years, the pastor has never preached on a prophetic book, much less the book of Ezekiel. That's sad because the prophetic books make up one-third to one-fourth of the scriptures. You see, with a systematic expositional preaching and teaching of the verse of God, or the word of God, verse by verse, as we do, 
it prevents me, the pastor or the teacher, from manipulating Scripture. Right? If I preach Ezekiel 1 and preach Ezekiel 50 and left out 2 to 49, by the way, there is no 50 chapters of Ezekiel, then you're going to wonder, what, what did he skip over? What did he skip over? It is a dangerous, dangerous exercise when you're hopping around verses all day. The whole Word of God must be taught. Verse 14, He will bring down the foundations that will uncover the untempered mortar. It is a believer's responsibility to want to learn the deep truths of Scripture so that when the times of testing come, they will have their faith and it will survive the uncovering of the untampered mortar. I'm so proud of one of our church members who messaged me this past week, and I have their permission to share this. Uh, he shared with me a devotional that he read in his quiet time out of a devotional book. And something wasn't right about that devotional, and he had written in his journal that this is the first time I've disagreed with this devotional. And he wanted me to check it out to make sure what he believed was wrong was really wrong. And this devotional stated that, that the chief aim of man was to serve God. But biblically, the purpose of man is to glorify God, and service comes out of that desire to glorify Him. I commended this young man that he was right, and I agreed with him. He then mentioned that he was sorry for bothering me, but he was very reluctant to write to me, but except this devotional was written by a very world-famous, highly respected pastor. But when I looked at the article, probably written by a ghostwriter, most of the verses were taken out of context to support his point. And I commended him. I said, regardless of how well-respected they are, be a Berean, discern that the Scriptures are not taken out of context, that they are taught in its entirety and in its context. In its context. That's so important. That goes to show that if you're not careful, that which you read and which you hear may not be the whole truth of Scripture, but if they are selective and selected, then it is at your disservice. Don't rely on devotionals. Use them if you must. But read the Scriptures for yourself so that you will have the whole truth. Finally, verse 17 and 18. Likewise, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own hearts. Prophesy against them and say, Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the women who sew magic charms on their sleeves and make veils for the hand, heads of people of every height to haunt souls. Will they hunt the souls of my people and keep yourselves alive? lest you think that it was a condemnation of only male false teachers, 17 to 25 condemns women, perhaps prophetess, who are encouraging the people to trust in magical objects and mystical actions instead of trusting in the one true God. They were telling people to carry around magic charms for good luck. And you will profane me, verse 19 among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, killing people who should not die and keeping people alive who should not live, 
by your lying to my people, note this, who listen to lies. Our world is so gullible, we think we're so smart today, but back in their time, as it is in our time today, people, when they are scared, listen carefully, the smartest people, when they are scared or uncertain in life, will be willing to sell their faith cheap. The Bible says in verse 19, for a handful of barley and for pieces of bread. So these sorcerers, these prophetess were saying, hey, you know what? You got a problem in life. Hey, give me a loaf of bread. I'll give you this magical amulet. And these smart people, because of their desperation, are so gullible. They said, okay, it's not very expensive. It's so cheap. Here, take a piece of bread. Give me that amulet. Right? We, we do it as well, too. How many of you wear jewelry, wear amulets, have a piece of paper in your bag that's so-called has good luck, bopai hai, it doesn't hurt, just wear it, just wear it, in our Chinese Asian tradition, just wear it, it will ward off the evil spirit, and you say in your mind, I don't believe that, but you know what, the more protection the better, the Bible says, you have listened to lies, they say, they kill people who should not die, and keep alive people who should not live. They are all lies. So they promise, you'll have a longer life. I'll cast a spell on them, and they'll die earlier. The Bible says, they're all lies. Why? Why? Listen to this one truth. Because only God holds our life in His hand. You will not die a day earlier or a day later. You will not die a minute earlier or a minute later than what God has preordained for your life. And if anyone promises you a longer life, it's non-biblical. It is a charlatan's trap. That's why I'm not scared of people who, who say, well, pastor, aren't you scared? They're going to put a hex on you, charms on you. And we even Christians are so scared. They put a charm on me. They put an evil spell on me. You don't know your theology. The Bible says, as a child of God, you are sealed by the Spirit if you want to put it in today's context, all of the charms and spells simply bounce off. They have no effect on a believer. That's what the Bible says. People who buy into that, verse 19, are listening to lies. Oh, but we don't take that seriously. So even as Christians, in our desperation for wanting something, instead of accepting God's will for their life, learning the lesson of doubt, we dabble into charms and other non-biblical methods to get the outcome that we want. Be careful, number five. False teachers and false teaching replace trusting God with mystical actions and magical objects. False teachers and false teachings replace trusting God with mystical actions and magical objects. That's why they are condemned and they are judged. The Bible says all of these things are a charlatan's trick. They are but lies. Christians do not buy into that. You are doing yourself a disservice when you fall into the trap of those things. I just point you to that last verse. Well, verse 22 first. Because with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad. 
and you strengthen the hands of the wicked so that he does not turn from his wicked ways to save his life. Those things are an impediment to the worship of God. Therefore, you shall no longer envision futility or practice divination, for I will deliver my people out of your hands, and you shall know what? That I am the Lord. I love this last phrase to close the chapter. God will deliver the people, and they shall know that he is the one true God. There is only one. He gives warning so that we will not fall into the traps of the false teaching and the teachers of this generation. Heed the call, for only the foolish follow fools. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It is instructive. It is an eye-opener for each one of us. Our ears are tickled to hear what we want to hear. But I pray that you would challenge and encourage us this morning to know how to discern because there's so much junk out there in the world today. May the Spirit guide us, but allow us to use our brains as active listeners to how we can avoid these things. In Jesus' name we pray.